Welcome to Salty Moms Gone Sober. Whether you are a sober, curious, salty individual, can't seem to stay on the wagon, or have some successful sober time under your belt, our podcast creates a safe and comfortable space to let it all out. We can't guarantee anything but a good time and chill vibes. With a dash of humor, genuine language of the heart, and a salty truth throat punch here and there, Connect with us on this unpredictable wave of sobriety. And when we find ourselves choking on a mouthful of saltiness, let's stop waiting to exhale and just spit some truth. Without further ado, your hosts, Alyssa Gruskin and Brie Juarez. Hey guys, Alyssa here. Welcome to another episode of Salty Moms Gone Sober. Hey guys, Brie here. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We are so happy to be here and so grateful. Alyssa and I have had the vid at the exact same time. And that is not an STD. That is COVID. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And we do have our periods at the same time, too. So So we've been on our deathbed. We have both been on our our deathbed. And... um, we uh just bear with us through um any voice cracking and all of the above but we i think are so grateful to just be on the mend and be getting healthy to where we can be around people we love getting reintroduced to the world it feels like went through covid sober stuck quarantined the sober terrible i was too sick to think about drinking but i'm pretty sure that there's another really awesome reason why we're grateful for tonight Alyssa. yes there definitely is so tonight we have a really awesome lady on tonight and her name's Daniela Park and we're super excited and super grateful for her to take her time and come out and be on with us tonight. So Daniela, if you're ready, you can go ahead and and share your story. Oh, thank you, Alyssa and Bree for having me. I truly appreciate it. Well, I I am a 48-year-old woman. I got sober when I was 32 years old in Southern California. I had quite a ride, a lot of fun. Born and raised in Southern California my entire life. LA girl spent my entire life pretty much living like a movie star. I grew up with a father in the television industry. My mother was in television. We traveled all over the world making shows. I in LA, we do the world travels. We do the high fashion shows in London and all these things. And I was an only child, so I really lived the high life. I did have a lot of, I guess I was just always a very, something wasn't quite right inside inside of me most of my life. No matter how much love, how many things, this, that, I just wasn't content. I don't know how I ended up so good <laughs> at this point in my life because it was pretty bad. I was, I was a pretty bad child, very, very spoiled. When I look back now, I, I realized that I was probably born an alcoholic and had these tendencies from, you know, when I was born. And because uh, it's the same shit that carried on into my life and my teen and my adult life. I always wanted more, 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 more. 500 gifts under the tree wasn't quite enough. I wanted more. You know, my parents didn't know what to do. They tried everything. They just wanted to make me happy. Eventually, as I got older in my teens, found alcohol, pot. Of course, I would drink to oblivion every time. There, you know, there, there wasn't any other way. 
and there never has been. And I started to get really sick and tired of, I was the person who was friends with the cheerleaders, the stoners. I got really sick and tired of it and I just wanted out. So I said, you know what? I want to go to continuation. I can't, cause I could not, and I would not get up for school. My parents could not do anything to get me to first and second period. I just wouldn't go. I would not get out of bed. It was horrible. It was like, I completely ran the show. It was pretty bad. I went to continuation and then I wanted out of there even faster. So I went to adult school and graduated pretty quick, graduated into the world of Hollywood, making movies and living a very crazy life. I was a person that I started doing really well. I started acting. I started uh, doing stunts. I started just really taking off in my career. I was young. I was 18, 19. I was hanging around. My friends were Scotty Kahn, Tori Spelling. I mean, these are the people that I hung out with. These are people I grew up with. It just was a constant party every single night. It was, it was fun. There was nothing bad about it. We had fun every single night of the week. We were with a different famous person and that's just the life we lived in Malibu. We were just those people. I just was a little bit more. There was always, I was always the last one up. I was always the one that would say, just hold on. I'm going to drive through this fucking gate. We don't need to wait for it to open. I'm just going to drive through it. I was the crazy, crazy, crazy gal. When I found cocaine, that was absolutely just the best thing that I've ever found in my life. It just destroyed me. It wasn't the cocaine that destroyed me. It was just the cocaine and the alcohol, I was so addicted every night. I mean, it didn't matter what you look like, you know, and eventually I just started not making movies anymore. People didn't really, I mean, I, I really didn't show up for auditions because I just was starting to get insecure and I didn't have that confidence anymore because I was high and I was up all night. And, and a lot of the times I would show up, you know, up all night. And one time I had, I was hanging out with the King of Beepers, he's called J&J King of Beepers. And he was the beeper king. Hung out with those guys all night, partied. I was working at a fitness magazine for Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger at the time, Weeder Publications. And I showed up and I put my Jack Daniels on the, on the desk and everybody's looking at me and they're going, whoa. And um, I had this bizarre spiritual awakening, I get. I mean, I can't think of it as anything else. I jumped in the car and I drove myself to the hospital. And I said, oh my God, I can't, I cannot do this. Just cannot feel this way anymore. It's just too, it's just too hard to deal with. They put me in a detox in Tarzana Treatment Center. That was a, a quick couple of days. Then they put me to uh, cry help for one week, which is like the microwave version, they called it. The moment I got out, I went to AA meetings. I did not get a sponsor. I had not a clue that alcoholism was an actual disease. I really, really was pretty darn clueless about the whole situation. Just started hanging out with my old friends, a tequila maker, pick up in the limo. You, you make it all the way night on Halloween and that 4 a.m. you decide you're going to take a shot. There goes your 90 days. I was hanging out with some really shady characters at the time. I mean, Charlie Sheen and actually Charlie Sheen wasn't shady. He was he was a he was a good person. He um, he helped me get sober and uh, he was getting sober at the same time. Definitely smoked a little too much crack with him, though. <laughs> um, we. Uh, you know, we, during this time, it was just, it wasn't like a, a, a heroin time for me. I had tried heroin 
and it just made me throw up. I've always been more of an upper person. I love just to go and just do shit, you know, um, just be the life of the party and stuff like that. Here I am uh, trying to chase this dream and the years are going by and I'm getting older and I'm still partying. I ended up bartending. That's where my life went. I was restaurants and bartending at the time because I was letting my life just slip away slowly. I was bartending my first night at this big new place and the guy told me, hey, I'm the local drug dealer. If you get me customers, I'll give you stuff in, in exchange. I was like, cool. So first night he says, hey, Pepsi or cola. I mean, I didn't know the difference. I just thought I've never even heard that. So I just said Pepsi because I, that's what I drank, Pepsi. He gave me a little baggie and I went home and I did the baggie and I did not leave my house for three days. Cleaned my room and I, and I just was in the zone and it was speed and methamphetamines. And then after that, everybody that I was hanging around with, whether they were, and I always told myself, I'll never suck on that pipe. No way in hell. That's just so foul, so trashy. That was the best, you know? <laughs> I went down that really bad path. Eventually, it was eight years later with my parents living in this beautiful winery in Malibu. Here I am hanging out, choosing to sleep in a hotel in Sepulveda just because I wanted to hang out and do speed. A really odd situation happened. I was behind on my car payment. I My car got towed by accident and I really had nothing besides my car. Without my car, I really didn't have anything because Malibu is very far from everywhere I needed to be. So the guy that I was hanging out with was one of the biggest porn stars at the time. He said, look, if you do this one thing, we can make enough money to get your car out. You'll be fine. No big deal. And I'm like, no, I could, because I have always been approved because I had been molested and raped. And so I never really put out in high school and stuff. I just was kind of a, so I'd get the tease card and all that. And I just, I was like, no, because my mom always made it a point to tell everybody what a slut she, look at what she's wearing. So I always had it in my mind. I don't want to be that person. And so eventually I got to that place. He said, okay, let's post you up on Craigslist. I did it. It was really odd. We took a bus down to Hollywood. I had to jerk this guy off, took the money and we left. And I never felt more empowered in my life. I don't know why. I just did. It was like, wow, these fucking assholes that I've been giving sex away to free. Well, hey, I'm going to start. I mean, I didn't really think of it like that at the time, but it all happened very quickly. And it also became a little, a little bit of um, a power trip for me. I was uh, working with a, a madam. And she was a very high class, Gettys, all these people. And I just, I would get paid to party. It wasn't always about sex. It really wasn't. It was about being able to hang out with these people. And, and that's where my life ended. You know, that's where my life really just ended. I, a lot of really good stuff. And, you know, in between there that I had lost, vice president of a huge production company, Tara Fawcett, you know, all these things and just boom, boom, everything just gone. And here I am plucking my eyelashes out, shaving my head, carving a hole in my chin that was there for two years. I have a scar here because, you know, there was something in there and there was always a needle or a tweezers in my hand. I don't care if I was at the damn grocery store. I was like sticking it in there. And it was really, I mean, I was gone. I was so gone. And uh, it got to the point where I was running down the street 
and they were filming a movie about me, showing everybody what it was like to be a speed addict. And I was going to help them by jumping off the top of the building. Thank God I never did, but I almost did. And then I ran home, discarded all my clothes on a major highway. At that point, uh, I said, I'm going to be in a rubber room. I need to stop. And I stopped. But then I just went to drinking and alcohol, you know, alcohol, blah, blah, blah. So I was off it for about a year. And then I moved and the house I was renting was from a bunch of meth dealers. So then I started sneaking it again. And I hadn't done that thing in a while. And it had been a year and a half. I was trying to, I started my own interior design company. I was doing people's homes and selling them furniture and stuff like that. I wasn't making it. And so I, I called producer of the Blair Witch Project. He paid very well. <laughs> and uh, he wanted me to hang out with this girl and just hang out with the girl. And so I was like, oh, you know what? I got to do it. It's going to pay my rent. And, um, you know, I, got, I just got to do this. So I went, threw up, I did it. I went home and I got in the shower. I was in the worst pain of my entire life. I thought I was, I thought someone had stabbed me or shot me or I, I didn't know what was happening. I just knew I fell down. I couldn't move. I was in total and utter shock. My mouth was stuck open. I thought I was having a stroke. My hands were stuck. Everything was kind of fading. Jumped out of the shower and laid there called 911. I said, I don't know, something, you got to help me. Of course, I had enough time to get up on the shelf and uh, put the speed in the drawer just in case for later. But the pain was, I, I, I knew I was going to die. I mean, this was like, I knew this was it. My stomach lining, I guess, had exploded because of all the drugs and alcohol ate a hole through my stomach. So when the, the stuff ran out of my stomach lining, it was burning my insides as it was crawling down all the way in, even into my groin area. It was just burning me all. It's like, it's like acid, you know, it touches your insides and it just fries it. So they called up my mom and I hadn't talked to her in like six months and she picked me up and she said, because I wouldn't go with the ambulance for whatever reason. I just didn't, because I didn't have insurance. And so my mom took me to um, this doctor that I forced her to take me to. And they said, we can't see you. You got to go to the emergency room. You know, this is serious. And by that time, I was just gray. And when I got there, there was like eight people that were like dying and I couldn't get in. And then I just started screaming. That was, I, I couldn't. Like, it was just so much pain that I was, ah! It was just absolute, like I was going to die. I knew it. Like if, if this doesn't happen right now, I'm going to fucking die. I got rushed in. I was literally there for two seconds. They put the camera on me and then boom, I was gone in surgery. And I woke up. Nobody was there. I was just by myself. My parents came, but there really wasn't anybody there. And I remember I had texted a friend that used to pay me to hang out with him. I actually started a relationship with. And I remember only thing that I ever did was text him, please help. That was maybe a few days before this happened because uh, my alcoholism, I was drinking and in the mornings and it was just getting really bad again. And I just think about how alone I was after I got out of that surgery, how painful it was. My entire stomach, I mean, it was an emergency explorative surgery. So they just rip roar down your entire stomach, bust open your muscles. They sucked it out with a vacuum, sutured it back up. And the doctor did not like me. He thought, well, she doesn't have insurance. She's a drug addict. 
And so he basically just put me together and my guts were hanging out still. And, and it was, it was so disgusting. So anyway, they kicked me out of there after a week and, uh, he took the stitches out and literally my, I had to put tape on my stomach because the guts were pouring out. I went to the pharmacist and I said, look, I can't smoke. I can't drink. I can't do anything because of my stomach. Is there any cream or something you can give me? Like I had not lived a sober breath in 20 fucking years. Not one day. There was not one day that I had gone sober. It just, it never happened. I could not live without a drink or a drug every day of my life. It just, it just, it, it's not normal for me. That's not normal. Um, I was to the core in every way possible. And I told, I can't, I can't do this. Like I need something. <laughs> I haven't left. And she said, you go to an AA meeting next door. I went over there. I walked in. I was just so disgusted. A woman was crying and, you know, just reminding me. And I got in the car and I called my friend, Amy. She was a, my drug dealer who I knew had gotten sober. We went to high school together and I just called her and I said, Hey, and I told her what happened. She goes, Oh my God, meet me at this place tonight. And uh, I met her at a meeting and it was the best night of my life for whatever ever reason that I got so lucky that I was able to pick up the phone, whatever put my plan in action where I picked up the phone and called that woman that brought me into this place where everybody understood me. They were able to help me get through this horribly difficult time of trying to live without something to ease my pain or my avoidance of life. I had the best time of my life. These people, I never had anybody call me to ask me of how I was doing. Nobody ever did that. They just talked about themselves and what, what we were going to do together in the future. That never happened. These people called me the next day and they're like, hey, how are you? I'm like, what? It was like a whole new thing for me. You know, having caring people. They took me out to dinner. They listened to me. They forced me to go to a meeting the next day. And like, I never thought about the word hope. It was just not part of my vocabulary. I never thought about it. It was a very interesting time spiritually. It just became a very huge, big spiritual awakening where the signs were so big that I could not ignore them. They were brighter than the fireworks on 4th of July. And there's a lot of cool stories, but I won't get into it. It just, if it wasn't for those spiritual experiences, I don't know if I would have made it because that's what really intrigued me. And it made me feel so part of something so much bigger. It made me feel love and it made me feel um, like I was part of something much bigger. Um, and I felt very connected to the universe and to a hope for the future of living sober. I became extremely active. I have always been very active in Alcoholics Anonymous, sponsored a lot of women, had a lot of commitments. That's what I needed. That's what I needed. I needed. And it made me feel really good to be able to do that. And it really helped me stay sober. And if I did not have that foundation, there's not, a, I would be dead. There's no way I would have made it. I moved to Florida four years ago, and if I was getting sober by myself right now, no way. Because I'm isolated out here. It's different. I mean, those are my people. That's my foundation. I mean, those are the people I talk to all day, to, you know, over here. If I didn't have them, I mean, that foundation is so, so important for me. Without that foundation, those people, 
I mean, those people are lifers. Those are my friends for life. I mean, we have this, this, um, you know, we fit, we just, we're, we're misfits and we fit together. You know, a lot of people have their own ways of getting sober and that's okay. But for me, I need to, to connect with another human being. I need to experience connection because God, I mean, I choose to call it God. I, I'm not a, a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but God speaks through people. God speaks through, for me, is nature and animals. When you're isolating and you're alone, you are not able to reveal. You can't, self can't reveal self to self. You can't tell yourself. It just, it, you just can't. You just can't. You, it just, it doesn't work. So having that other person or people or group or sponsor or spiritual advisor, whatever it is to bounce shit off of, you can get whole again. Because when you're insane, all it means is you're just not whole. Sometimes we're like that. I mean, shit, I'm like that right now. I'm going to turn 16, uh, 16 years sober, September 11th, and I have a chronic illness. I've always been the active, fun, positive person that is always looking out for the best interest of others. I am always trying to pull out the good qualities in other people. Life is tough these days, and it's not just disease stuff I'm facing. It's social media. I mean, there's a lot of powerful shit that's going on right now. And when you're in long-term sobriety, you're still a human being. You're still going to feel pain. You're going to feel fear and you're going to have to do something about it. Cause if you don't, then you're in trouble. If we are not constantly taking not massive action, but some action, then we are doomed. And it is tricky. It is so tricky. What a tricky disease. I mean, it just catches you at, at a moment when you're totally vulnerable and you're not even thinking about it. You have this mental blank spot. I see it all the time. I hear it and it scares me. I don't want to be that person. So I try to stay out of trouble. You know, I, I try to, to talk to people. I try to show up. I try to be honest. I don't pick up no matter what. I'm constantly trying to grow. I know that there is absolutely no destination. This is just a constant journey. It's just the whole rainbow. There's no pot of gold. Life is going to always, it's just going to be life. <laughs> basically. And, you know, yes, you can be the most positive person. And at times I have been that person, but you can't always be that person. Sometimes you feel like for me, I sometimes I feel really misunderstood. And when I say I feel this way, I feel that way with social media, because nobody really knows you. You're on social media. But it really does affect you sometimes. Like this is in my past. I've kind of grown past that. But this is was eight years ago when I started, you know, a lot of people, they, I think it's because I, I have merchandise that they may think that I'm quite sure what they think, but I really cared a lot what they thought years ago. Now it's kind of like, <sighs> it's like, there's so much that we're expected to do these days. And the pressure is so high. Go, 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 go. I'm getting to that age and that point where I don't want to go anymore. I don't want to go, go, go. When I was sober, maybe the first 10 years, I had a lot to say, a lot. I would, every chance I could, I'd be up there speaking. And now I like to listen. I'm a, I'm a good listener. I love to listen. I want to learn. I want to, I'm just a different, different person. And my God, I mean, of course I am 16 years later after being spending 20 years prior, just straight doing drugs and alcohol, you know, so that's, kind of where I'm at. You know, I'm just trying to deal with uh, depression now, which is something I'm not used to. I know that I will get through it. 
I have a wonderful life. I'm very loved. And I know that if I'm just honest and tell people, I'll be okay. Thank you so much, Daniela, for sharing that. I absolutely love how what you just said at the end about how you're a different person now. Now you're whole. In reality, that's the person that you were meant to be be and you were covering it up yeah. with drugs and alcohol. This person you are now that found hope, that found desperation, that found a solution, support, stuck with it, mm -hmm. that's you. Yes. And you gave back. And that's such an important part of the recovery process. Yes. And looking back at your childhood, part of this family that's this just on the go, Hollywood family, successful, then their daughter's successful as well. You know, you're healthy, you're getting gigs as, as a stunt woman, you know, like you're working in the industry. You're getting whatever you want and whenever you want it. Not really anybody's telling you no. <laughs> Got that right. Like, you're calling the shots, baby. You're hot, yeah. you're young, wealthy, your family's yeah. known. You had it going on until you picked Pepsi. <laughs> yes, the deadly mistake. Yeah. But that would have happened eventually. Yeah. I mean, I your was Pepsi would have come. Yeah. Yeah. And then you slowly kind of saw those things you were show like you said like you were showing up after benders being up all night you couldn't work as a stunt person then you couldn't be professional you couldn't do what you're you were expected to do for your job and that is when there you saw that really big turning point i think that was le led up to that first spiritual awakening when you put your Jack and Coke on the bar and said, I'm done, I need help, which mm. was, of course, not your last drink. But you realized shit is out of control. This is not the life that I want to lead. Like, what yeah. were you thinking in that first moment? All I can remember is that horrible feeling of not sleeping, being high and drunk and at work and just the guilt and the shame and just the utter exhaustion of the partying, reeking of cigarettes and alcohol. It just sucks. It really sucks. I mean, it's not fun to just show up to a health magazine, you know, one of the biggest muscle and fitness magazine. It was just not a fun moment for me. And I just was miserable. And I wanted, I was like, I just don't want to feel this way ever again. I had no escape at that point. I didn't feel like I had a way out. Yeah, because you were, you had used all your solutions to escape. Yeah. The beautiful clouds parted and the cocaine <laughs> gods came down <laughs> and it was snowing speed and all the methamphetamines <laughs> you could ever want. I'm an uppers girl. I fucking know how to rage and I like to do it. And the only way I'll do it is if I'm on uppers. Like alcohol and uppers. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm right there with you. I feel you. And, but so quickly the storm comes and the darkness 
and it's not that beautiful sunshine anymore. In fact, it's five days later and it's, you know, like the birds are chirping and your Tupperware cupboard is spotless, but you've got (laughs) five piles of clothes that you're going to donate to something that probably stay in that. You know what I mean? It just like madness. After you change the buttons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. After you sew on new buttons and you, what the fuck, whatever our minds are thinking when we're in that. And we only understand that because we've done that shit and we know that obsession in in doing something and like you wake up to reality and the shit storm of your life mm-hmm. and you're like what the fuck have i done even that didn't really stop you you kind of you kind of stayed um bartending and then you started becoming a, a working girl yeah and you mentioned that you felt a sense of empowerment. And I have a a feeling, I I could be wrong, that because of the trauma, the sexual abuse that you experienced in your life, and then all of a sudden you can fucking jack a dude off and make money off of his sorry ass, that is empowering in a really sick, twisted way. It is. And it is, and mm-hmm. you took you took advantage of your gift to man- to manipulate sexually, right? I, you know what? I was damn good at it. <laughs> damn good at it. Even if it even if it was just standing there being the pretty fun girl yep. at the party, exactly. You were getting paid to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I ever pictured for my life. In fact, it was always the opposite, like I had mentioned. But when it happened. It just, I'm seeing all these other women do it. And I mean, I'm, I'm not doing much. I'm like busy, you know, hanging out with somebody. I'm making three to $5,000 and I'm not really doing anything because I got hooked up with the right people, young and pretty. And it just, it was really just, it was, I didn't have to work. I had a, all my drugs. I have an, my own apartment now, you know, it just, it fulfilled all the things that I wanted to become a full-time drug addict. I mean, I had a ball. And one of the things I enjoyed the most was going out at night and jumping in dumpsters. I mean, how fucked up is that? <laughs> yeah, kind of like, like you said, like if there was a, a, a gate, you were going to drive through it. Fuck that walk. I'm Daniela. <laughs> Let's get through this bitch. We're getting through it. And but really, like in this ego, you just you had mentioned it and it's written all over all of us. Yep. Addicts and alcoholics, of course. Your story is no different. Our fucking egos and our low self-esteem. Oh yeah. It's the perfect concoction for us. Yeah. For people like us that find solution and fill voids with drugs and alcohol. And that's yeah. our solution. Until yeah. if we're lucky, until it's not anymore and we find something else. But that's only if we're lucky. A lot of people. You should be dead. I should be dead. Alyssa should be dead. I actually had alcohol put a hole in my stomach. I did not go septic like you. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. And I too was like, 
like emergency everything. And then I never went back to my follow-up doctor's appointments. And then three years later, after drinking and drinking and drinking and drugging and drugging, I found out that I had stomach cancer. Wow. Like literally drinking alcohol, I swear, is the reason why my stomach cancer just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And it grew from that sick place where my hole was and where there was like no oxygen. The cells were just, it didn't take much. And by the time I I went, they went in for surgery and they took lymph nodes out. They took the tumor out. They took a lot of shit out of me, sewed me up. And they were like, this cancer is all over this girl. What? You got to do chemo and radiation. We can't take this cancer out. So like when like Alyssa immediately identified with you when she saw autoimmune disease and then I immediately identified with you when I saw that alcohol had literally burned a hole in your stomach and your bodily fluids were inside your body and had to get sucked out of your body for you to live and you had to get put back together again. And mm-hmm. that doesn't happen to everybody. Yeah, That's what it took to wake you up. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think about that? You know, it feels like another life ago. It's been a long time. And it's not like I forgot. It's just so long ago. Six 16 years is a long time to be sober. Like, I I still can't fucking believe it. And uh, and thank God I got sober that day that I picked up that phone. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, the chances of that happening, really slim. Um, so I know there's a God, and I know there's a purpose, and I know I need to get my ass helping others because I was helped. I know that I could never have done it alone. So every time that I am worried about myself, my pitiful problems and my selfish desires and materialistic dreams of winning the lottery or whatever it may be so ridiculous. The truth is, is like right here, right now. I mean, I just look at my feet and I'm here. Like this is the only thing that I have is this fucking moment. So I might as well make it good. And only way that I can make it good is just to be honest and authentic. Show up. That's it, you know, and show up for others. No matter what. Because if people are going to hurt you, they always do. But you're not trying to not get hurt. You're just trying to fucking save people's lives or give them a little glimmer of hope. But maybe they won't hurt someone else or themselves. Or I mean, it's like we have a very short period of time here. And if we're given the gift of life, like after a situation like that I had, then it would just be, it, I just think it's so natural for me to want to just save people's lives. It's just when you go through something like that, I guess, probably what it makes me feel like now. Yeah, almost like a feeling of, of gratitude for... For going through something like that. Yeah. But because you found a solution, there are many people who would have gone through something like that. And gratitude would be the furthest from their vocabulary 16 years later. They'd probably be six feet under. But you found it. You embraced it. You knew you had to share your story because without 
sharing your story, you would be eliminating so many other opportunities for another sick, suffering alcoholic and addict to relate and to get inspired to want to be sober and want to have what you have. It's the act of it. It is the actual fucking act of helping another human being that makes you feel this magic, this total like bliss could feel like such shit and then you just do one simple thing by picking up the phone and calling someone else to see how they're doing and you feel so damn good it's so it's such a simple thing to do but yet it's such a powerful thing and it's such a spiritual thing indeed spiritual and thank you for sharing your hope is really i feel like the theme of a lot of what you've talked about, just like looking, looking for after identifying the issue, the only thing that kept you going is that glimmer of hope. And yes. that's what our listeners need. We don't have a lot of time here, like you said, and it's going to keep going. Things are going to keep moving. It's fluid. We move with it. Let's take it in. Let it become us and let us be it. Connect with the people, Mother Nature, the universe. Find that connection that creates that hope and that spreads that hope. And I thank you so much for your time. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to share your story, your strength, your hope. We're just really grateful that you were able to come on today and share with our listeners. It was a pleasure speaking with you ladies. I really enjoyed it and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much to all our listeners. If you liked what you heard, tune in next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another episode of Salty Moms Gone Sober. Be there or be square. And in the meantime, stay salty, stay sober, stay sane. Peace.